Hey, everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters, trampling Dave Ramsey on a golden rhino of approachable money wisdom. <laughs> my name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my friend Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking today? Good, dude, good. It's like a few minutes before I can pull the rum out, so I'm just <laughs> drinking water right now. I am also drinking water. That is the most boring drink listing of my <laughs> 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 but yeah yeah quick intro today we have a guest on the show and her name is stephanie kirkpatrick how you doing stephanie i'm doing fantastic guys great to be here thanks yeah great to have you so uh, before we get into the topic of today's episode our catchphrase comes from peter upton and andrew is that on facebook or twitter or something else email uh, email yeah, yeah email okay cool so hey yeah if you've got catchphrases you want us to read on the show uh twitter we're at money matters man and we love to get catchphrases there we definitely need more catchphrases so send them on over you can also send them via email or on Facebook, facebook.com slash listen money matters. But today we're talking with Stephanie about um, financial planning for uh, starting a family, right? Yep, you got it. Cool, cool. So before we get into this, and is a topic I know absolutely nothing about being a <laughs> recent college grad. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about you. Uh, yeah, so I am about to actually find out firsthand what it's like to be in charge of a family because I am a few months pregnant and excited okay. oh, to wow. welcome the baby into our family. So you picked a great topic. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, I've worked with thousands of clients who've been in this situation, and um, I've got some really great tips on how to get started, how not to be afraid, whether you've been planning for it, whether you haven't been planning for it. You know, we I'm hear deathly both. afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe you should be afraid of how much sleep you're going to get in the first few months. But the financial side of it, there's a lot we can work out in advance. Um, Got lots of great tips for you guys on that. Um, So I'm a certified financial planner. Um, I've been doing this for, gosh, more than a decade. So that tells you how old I am. And um, I think it's really amazing to unlock the power of having the answers to your financial questions um, in a way that's fun and digestible. So I'm delighted to be on the show. And I think we're going to do some great stuff for people today. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Andrew... You haven't done much family planning. Obviously, I have <laughs> Well, how do you know, man? <laughs> no, I, I've actually done, like, none. So, Laura and I, we, we've talked, and we're kind of like, this year, probably, maybe, like, you know, ah, but there's all this stuff, and we're, we kind of haven't looked into anything, um, and I'm maybe wanting to, like, quit my job soon or something, and so it's all just, like, this cloud hovering over of, like, not knowledge. Andrew, that sounds like the perfect time to have a kid. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right when you're about to quit your job. <laughs> I'm changing jobs. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, I'm 23 and like my girlfriend and I are definitely not in like the wanting kids boat at this point. Um, but I, so I've been talking about my retirement goals on the show before. And a lot of people have said like, yeah, good luck with that. The moment you get kids, all your money's going to go away. <laughs> and like a lot of pessimism when it comes to uh, financial goals and mixing kids into it. So I guess like, have your financial goals changed since you knew this was a goal of yours to start a family? You know, that's actually a really interesting question. As a financial planner, um, I take to heart a lot of the advice that I give to clients. I'm not sure every financial planner can say that. Um, We're all different. But, you know, it hasn't really changed the way that I think about my financial goals. But what it's definitely changed is the way I think about the things that I savor. So I'm a big believer in focusing your spending on the things that really make you happy. And for a long time, that's been stuff that my husband and I can prioritize, traveling internationally, eating out, Um, you know, some of the sort of bigger 
ticket items that we really derive pleasure from are probably going to be things that don't make as much sense for us when we have a family and we're going to start prioritizing different things. So it's been kind of interesting to just reflect on, wow, this might be the, the last time we go to the Dominican Republic for a while and stay at a fancy five-star <laughs> hotel. We're probably going right. to be camping for the next 10 years. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think for everybody, when you start going through this phase, whether it's planned or unplanned, um, I think one of the best things that you can do is really just pause for a second and give yourself a chance to breathe rather than going straight to panic mode about the financials yeah. and the way things are going to change. Okay, interesting. How do they change and how dramatically do they change? Well, they change. They change big time. So, um, you know, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, it's going to cost a middle-income couple over $245,000 to raise a child born in 2013 to the age of 18. Well, so, really? What, what, like? I'm not like what class level, but is this like a kid who's eating like fancy like <laughs> restaurant food every Saturday or is this just like a kid who survives? And like, so there's, there's probably no sushi budgeted in to the standard <laughs> cost of living here, um, at least not on a regular basis. You know, these are the average costs that you have when you start factoring in, um, you know, an extra mouth to feed, extra insurance costs to cover. When you start thinking about childcare costs, especially in the early years, which are times in which you need childcare, maybe not 24-7, but a lot more than you will as the child gets older, the trade-off then becomes starting to engage in school programs, after-school activities, sports. Did you guys play sports growing up? If so, what'd you play? Soccer. Soccer. I did basketball, football, wrestling. Ah, boxing. so your parents probably spent more than $245,000. <laughs> well, a lot of them were either in school or... I actually didn't play too many team sports as a child, just basketball. Okay. The rest so of them the, were like, I think wrestling was very informal. You know, so the little details add up, right? So you're right. looking at cleats, you're looking at, mm. you know, football gear, you're looking at, you know, lots of little things that kind of go into the, the household expenses. Um, and, and like I said, there's some other sort of behind the scenes things that you may not immediately think of, like the increased cost of health insurance. You might get it provided right. by your employer, and that's all good and fine until you go and add a dependent, and voila, it's no longer free. Mm. Um, so there's a lot yeah. of things that you can do in terms of just getting a, a, a picture of what's going to change even before it hits the bank account. Okay. And then there's savings goals. You know, you mentioned retirement, feeling like it could get sidelined. I think it's important that that stays front and center because I assure you, you can take loans for college and not for retirement. So I want that to stay on track for <laughs> <with> people. <laughs> but you're going to have, um, you know, savings for things like summer camp. Mm. Um, you're going to have savings for, you know, you might have some decisions to make around private ver ver versus public school. You're probably going to set aside some money for college. You won't probably save every penny of it and not to the extent that you derail retirement, but you're going to have the instinct to want to get some tax benefits from 529s. Um, so, you know, a lot of things shift. Um, and for, you know, for families that are doing planning that don't have kids yet, there's some advanced stuff that you can look into in your area and just start asking friends, you know, how much do you guys pay for your nanny? How much is preschool? Yeah. Speaking, you know, get of, a sense of that. speaking of like the whole like pre-kid planning thing. So, I mean, uh, not everyone is able to plan when they have their kids. Sometimes it just happens. But if, if you are, true. if you are, you know, quote unquote planning or pretending like you're planning, do, should you like save a certain amount? Like, is, is there some thing you should consider? Like, does having birth cost $20,000 and we just don't know, you know? Mm. Yes. So having having a child can cost money. So it depends on the type of insurance you have. If you're in the mindset where you like to plan things out and you guys are going to try to start to build a time frame, a timeline and a plan, 
I think one of the things that you might find surprising that a lot of couples encounter, and it's much more commonly talked about today than it used to be, is that sometimes mother nature is not on our side. And it's not necessarily, well, you can get surprised and find out you're pregnant unexpectedly. Mm. Uh, sometimes when you're really endeavoring to do it, you have to bring in some experts. And there can be some significant costs for IVF um, processes that are generally not covered by insurance. So out the gate, before the $245,000 is calculated, you may have some runway to the tune of 10, 15, 20, 20 plus thousand dollars just to get started. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's a big surprise for a lot of people, the cost that goes into it and the frequency by which it happens. Okay. Um, so there's some some things that you might want to research on that front. And there's some easy tests that can be run to find out if everything's in good working order before you get started. Um, <laughs> but I think if you're planning, if you guys are talking about, you know, mm. what's next, having a savings account um, and some liquidity is very helpful in addition to your emergency fund. Because okay. depending on your line of work, maybe you don't get paid, you know, maternity or paternity. Um, maybe it's not long enough for the time you want to take off. Maybe you have some health concerns that are going to keep you out of work longer than you had planned. Um, and there's the setup costs, you know, cribs aren't free, <laughs> all the stuff that you need right. to raise the child. Sure. You could have a baby shower. You probably won't get all of it. So you want to have some runway to, you know, be setting yourself up to not feel behind the eight ball financially well before you start saving for college and all those other things. Is there yeah. like a, a starter package cost of like crib and this and that? Like what, what, how much do you need just to get started? So I would say, you know, a good target amount to have set aside is, you know, within the range of five to $10,000. If you, if you can manage to set up some savings in advance, not because a crib is going to cost that much money, mm. but because writ large, you want to have um, just a lot more cushion and flexibility than you've ever had before. Mm. You don't want to be in a position where you're introducing a last minute unexpected expense mm. that makes you now feel like you can't afford to buy the crib. Right. So you're just giving yourself a little bit of bandwidth. Um, and again, you know, everybody's cost of living is different. I think when I mentioned at the beginning, this notion of saver, um, you know, do I need the most expensive uh, crib on the market? Do I need the most popular name brand stroller? Is it really buying me something special to spend that money? I think you have to really measure out what what sort of budget makes sense and going through and looking at how important it is for you to have certain name brand things versus everyday things that work just as great and do some homework. Consumer Reports is a great place to start. Mm. Um, there's lots of review websites out there. And like I said, friends, people have done it before. They have the best information. So cut down on the baby bling. Yes. <laughs> Not quite so much baby bling. Um, so, so I have a question coming from like the perspective of somebody who's just gotten out of school, basically. Like, mm -hmm. I'm 23. My girlfriend's 21. At this point, we're both like, we don't want kids. And I like, I kind of use that perspective to build my financial goals, which are pretty well defined, I think. So I want to ask like you and Andrew, as you know, you're planning a family right now. I know Andrew's a little bit older than me. How... I guess, like, does the desire to have kids change? Like, in your experience, does it, does it, like, kind of hit you after you've done enough in your 20s and, like, traveled and stuff? Or is it just kind of, like, creep up as you get older, that kind of thing? Like, I guess that's the question that's, I have. <laughs> that is an awesome question. I think we could go on a tear on that one. Yeah, I'm like, sure am I going What do you think, My opinion Stephanie? as I get older or not? Well, you know, so you're into the process, so you should actually inform <laughs> me a little bit even. <laughs> well, so it's funny that you guys asked that because, you know, I've always been super career minded. Um, I knew somewhere in the back of my head, if I made it to like 55 and I didn't have kids, I'd be sorry. Mm. But at 25, at 23, at 21, at 35, I mean, 
you've got a lot of amazing stuff, especially when you're in a career that you love. And it's not always easy to say now is the right time. What I think people who've been through it will tell you, um, myself included, is that when it happens, it feels amazing, right? And so there's nothing that you can really prepare for in terms of being ready, because I think the fear factor of, gosh, raising a child <laughs> is big enough that you can talk yourself out of it, you know, 10 ways to Tuesday. Okay. But when you start thinking about, you know, what I did is I thought a lot about the relationship I have with my parents. They're my best friends. And I'm sure I was a shit to raise, you know, half the time. <laughs> and I was hard work. But to see how amazing our relationship is now that they're in their 50s, 60s and beyond and all the time we've spent together as friends, that's what I want. And that was my sort of motivation for thinking about what it's going to be like to raise a family. What? Okay. Okay. I'm just going to say like that is like the exact mindset like because the relation with – you like hit every point. The relation with my parents yeah. and that I don't want to be like an old dad. Like they're – five and I'm 50, you know, <laughs> and like, I want to, you know, have family vacations and fun stuff. And it's then also Laura and I are getting older. So there becomes a point where it's like, maybe not advisable to have kids, you know? Mm. Yeah. At a certain point, I think that's true. I, early on, you know, to be honest, I wasn't like, I have to have kids. I was never that person. Me neither. But you do find that like you, you travel enough, you, you do enough things that you've experienced a lot, especially being married yeah. for a couple of years, where you're like, gosh, we could do more. Um, dogs are a good starter. So if you aren't sure about kids, try having a pet. It's a good practice round. Cat. <laughs> Cat. You know, whatever yeah. it takes. Um, because that's what I'm curious about. Because right now, like, Anna's like, you know, maybe I could think about it eventually. But I, I don't want that to get in the way of, like, traveling. I want to go to, like, every country ever and do all this cool stuff. And do like, it. I mean, Once I think you get done with that, does it just sort of, like, kind of unlock like I don't know like giving yourself permission to want kids maybe I think so I mean I, I do think that you find a point in your life where you're super satisfied and you keep going with all the you know the things that you savor just the two of you mm. and then you think about how amazing it could be to see uh, you know the ability to unlock um, personality in somebody else growth the experiences that you had as a kid and it's just different it's just your perspectives change um, yeah. and it's not it's not like it hits you like a ton of bricks. Um, my husband wanted kids, gosh, since the day we got married, you know, three or four years ago. <laughs> you, had a, you had to beat him away. <laughs> no, like, not no. now. <laughs> Put your pants back on. Um, no, but, but he really, you know, I think he, he's a couple of years older than me and he just, he was ready to get started. And we had to work together to agree, you know, careers are important and how do we fit that in? You know, and I, I think that career minded people will tell you, you're never sure when to say, okay, let me pause on my career to do this, mm. especially for a woman, because you have to take the time off. Um, what's it going to be like when I come back? Will my job still be here? How much money am I going to lose from my earnings? Yeah. What, what am I going to do for maternity leave? You know, all those questions that come up. So it's a lot of planning. Did, did that play into your whole decision? Because I, I'm going to just put it out there. I mean, it's obvious. It's a lot harder for girls than guys. I mean, I, I'm going to say most guys bounce back pretty good after childbirth. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Unless you hold um, hand. Well, my husband and I agreed. So he loves college football, which spawned mm -hmm. into fantasy football, which spawned into NFL. So now it's like, you know, three days a week of football, which <laughs> runs from August to like, gosh, 
February. <laughs> so it's almost like birthing a child. That's like birthing a child. Fantasy football was going to go into like fantasy games. Then wow, <laughs> no, <none of> <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. He's a, he's a normal guy. He's like he, he's a, a normal stand-up guy. Works in private equity. He's pretty cool. Um, but what we agreed is that come weekends that time of year, like he'll watch the kid because he's staying home to watch right. football. And I was like, okay, that works for me. <laughs> so, so you can go I, out and do something. I can go out and do something. And uh, look, my belief is, you know. Finances aside, you guys really have to support each other and you have to be mindful of the fact that everybody's going to grow in their careers at different stages. So for him to give me the runway for a couple of extra years to grow my career, put me in a position where I was really excited about having kids, um, where there's no resentment that somebody's asking the other person to quit or do something that's really not what they want to do at that time. Um, And I worked really hard to establish um, what I I hope um, is the foundation for a career to come back to Two, three okay. months, you know, away from work, four months, it's not going to kill me. Um, I have an amazing team to come back to. And so that makes me excited to add to my life in a way that I couldn't with just my career. So yeah, l- let me ask you because there, there's this like two ways of thinking where – and I don't think either is right or wrong. But a lot of, you know, girls might think I want to, you know, have a child and then I want to do that 100% forever and that's like my thing and then there are people and I'm more career minded so I can understand (laughs) you know coming back to work and did you have to like reconcile that in your head or with him over the course of I don't even know how long before you could even like move forward we definitely talked about it and I've seen with other friends who've gone through this recently people who what they say is that you you think you want something and then the kids come and, and you want something different We'll see because I'm not there yet. But um, I've definitely seen some couples where the girl didn't want to go back to work. And that was a surprise to them. They'd never talked about it. He just always assumed you worked before you're going to work after. And Mm. she assumed you're going to support whatever I want. So, you know, one of the things that I always recommend to clients at LearnVest is this notion of having um, an open dialogue about money. The money conversation, it's not once in a while. And it shouldn't be something that's stressful or filled with drama and if you guys can have that sort of ongoing dialogue and you can bring in some, this is a financial question, right? right. Mm. In a lot of ways, can we live with only one income? So you have to kind of weigh the cost of, well, what is childcare going to cost us versus my commute time versus my income after taxes and any tax benefits and tax credits we get? What does the math look like? Um, what is our budget? So at LearnVest, we use what's called the one number strategy, where you're really focused on following one number week over week, which is safe to spend. Mm. And that's a derivative of how much money is going away tor- towards financial goals and what you have to fix costs. Well, if you take one income off the table, what does that one number strategy look like in your budget? Mm. Right. Can you live with it? So you have to kind of size it in a way that makes sense for your household and if it really comes down to this being important that one person stays home, and it's not always the woman, um, if one person's going to stay home and forego that income, you know, what are we going to potentially change in terms of what we savor and how we spend to make it fit? And how are we going to reduce our fixed cost if the income level is not going to be there? Yeah, I really like that because w- that's like a decision where it's like a, definitely a fork in the road. Mm-hmm. And you can go either way. And I think it would be a very good idea, like you said, to consider both uh, situations and then do the numbers, like run the math on each one to see, like, will that one work? Will that one work? And then if it happens that the person wants to stay home, whoever it may be, then you know whether or not that works ahead exactly. of time. Exactly. 
And there's a lot of financial benefit to having somebody be home full time. Um, So when you start thinking about life insurance, which is a a big checklist item that we would be talking about if I'm doing a financial plan for someone who's just starting to plan for kids, you know, you don't only insure just the the working spouse, you insure both spouses. Mm. How much you insure the non-working spouse for is typically less because their ability to earn income is lower. Okay. And you're generally insuring not the value of someone's life, but their ability to earn income. Um, but oh, you're, okay. Yeah. So that's what I never so, thought of that. Yeah. So life insurance is really um, replacing the income that I would have brought to the household for the next 20 or 30 years, depending on the okay. term you buy, um, more than it is just saying, gosh, you're worth $2 million. Um, <laughs> Dry your tears <laughs> with 20s. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, and so when you start thinking about the non-working spouse and you do the math on how to calculate their life insurance um, coverage, you look at all the costs that the surviving spouse would have if you didn't have the stay-home spouse. Child care, house care, cleaning, you know, transportation for the kids, all the things that they contribute that you can ascribe a financial value to. So there's right. a lot of ways to kind of slice and dice who stays home, is it worth it? And to remember that it's not always just about somebody wanting it, it sometimes does make better financial sense for the household to do it that way. On that, on that thought, like, is there like some sort of like list or something that we could follow to maybe, cause you know, maybe, maybe uh, someone doesn't make that much and it would actually be more beneficial for them to stay home. It'd be like more uh, value added, you know, <laughs> 20,000 working versus 25,000 staying home. So I can't give you an exact number because it really varies um, based on income level and tax brackets. And there's a lot of incentives that you can get from different employers in the benefits package that might make it very worthwhile to stay employed even on a part-time basis. Access to a pension, access to a 401k where there's a company match, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Certain types of health benefits that maybe decrease or eliminate the cost that you have. Vision and dental coverage. I don't know about you, but I have four foregone dental coverage many times over in my life thinking, "Eh, so if I get a cavity, I'll pay for it. Well, when you have a family of four, all of a sudden dental coverage feels a lot more important, right? Yeah. And so, so understanding not just the take home pay, which is a big part of your decision, but Mm. the ancillary benefits and really assessing that relative to the hard costs that you're going to have to incur. So I recommend that couples look at both their benefits packages, right? If we're both working, who has the better package? Or in what cases can our health insurance, for example, work together? Sometimes you can have a primary and a secondary. Well, so maybe that means that the total cost of the insurance from one side can be offset by additional coverage from the other spouse. And so continuing to have both people work makes sense. Sometimes that's not the case. Um, Flexible spending accounts, you know, flexible spending for um, medical expenses and over-the-counter medications go a long way with kids. And then flexible spending for dependent care um, which is a pre-tax way to set aside money that you can spend on dependent care, typically outside your home, is another way to offset the cost of being in the workforce but having the care that's needed to get you there. Yeah. So as somebody who advises people who are looking to start a family, do you ever get questions from somebody who may want to stay home uh, once the baby's born about like freelancing from home or doing stuff like that? Like how much Absolutely. of a time investment is the baby and like how much time would somebody have to work at home if they wanted to? That's a a fantastic question. So uh, even without kids, we often recommend if you're a little tight for the month, start thinking about how to parlay your skills into some freelance work or something else Mm -hmm. that can be income generating. 
With kids, it's a great opportunity to build a flexible work-life balance that works for your family, um, provided that you have a skill that's marketable in some sort of consulting fashion, right? right? Um, so if I know how to knit and knitting's not going to earn me enough money, that might not be something that's as useful as, say, graphic design work or yeah. financial planning or some type of consulting that I can do from home. I think in the first few months, uh, you know, it's pretty tricky to have both a kid at home and be working in a professional setting, mm -hmm. but you may have a skill that doesn't require phone calls or meetings. Um, I think what you most need, what I found with clients is that they, they what they really need is um, a period of time that's dedicated where they have childcare for um, a minimum of a couple of hours where they can get something done end to end. They yeah. can produce a deliverable, they can write the report, they can do whatever assessments needed and turn it around and that they have to have those blocks of time um, be relative to the amount of income that they can earn. So if I have okay. to pay my, my nanny or my babysitter so much that my hourly wage for the consulting doesn't work, right. then again, it's you have to kind of net out the numbers. But it's absolutely a great way to stay connected, feel a little bit more adult, if you might, um, right. <laughs> in, in what you're doing every day, and to have some cash flow, which I think is great. Yeah. One thing I will say, don't forget this. I know this gets forgotten a lot. If you're earning income on the side like that, nobody's taking the taxes out for you. Mm. Yeah. Right. So with our exactly. paychecks, that's automatic. So don't forget, set aside, let's call it rule of thumb, maybe 30% okay. um, of anything that you bring in freelance or independent contractor so that the taxes don't surprise you because that's a big one. So I don't want to go like, me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the first and it, year it I did this. So right? Yeah. Once you've done it, you never get to again. <laughs> but the first time, ouch. <laughs> yep. So I don't want to go like too far down the rabbit hole because there's even a million questions down there. But for someone who, you know, is a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, and they're like, this is interesting. I would like to try and, you know, contribute income-wise. How do you get started because I almost feel like that's like once you're going, like you just do your thing. But right. beginning is like, I don't know. Starting yeah. anything, the first step is always the hardest, right? So whether mm -hmm. it's saving for retirement, whether it's signing up for you know a membership somewhere, um, or whether it's figuring out how you're going to make some income, I think it's getting over the mental hurdle and just believing that you can make it happen. Um, so that's really step number one. Step number two is to assess what your skills are and what the market can provide based on those skills. So uh, let's take tutoring, for example. You've got um, you know, a background in teaching. You're not gonna go back to work for a while, but maybe there are some tutoring programs and it's college essay season. Maybe you help kids so you can post on Craigslist, on TaskRabbit, on um, you know, mm. local community boards. And those are the kinds of things that you can do kind of ad hoc. They may not be really high paying, they might be. It depends on your area and what kind of skills that you're offering. Mm. Um, but I think one of the things you want to rely on is a sense of community and, and word of mouth. So try to have as minimal overhead as you can for the first couple go-rounds. Don't build a website right away. Um, get out there and see if you can do some grassroots marketing if it's something straightforward. If you've already got something like graphic design that you've done before, reconnect with some people that you've done projects with in the past. Ask yeah. them if they know anybody who's looking for a little side help. Um, start small and be careful and mindful about the amount of work that you take on until you find your cadence. I think everybody's mm -hmm. velocity to work and manage the household is different. Yeah. So I guess one thing that I wanted to know about, like income is cool and all, uh, as the person who decides to stay home, is there like a boredom factor at all? Like when the kid's sleeping a lot of the time, like, I don't know, I guess if you, if you go from knowing that you worked eight hours a day to all of a sudden being home all day long with your spouse gone and an infant, 
Like, is there a large factor where like you're just <laughs> bored out of your mind because the kid's sleeping and now you're stuck in the house? Well, you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to call on a, a legit housewife to answer that one. But I'll tell you what I know from friends and, and what I think is probably true. Yeah. I think that the amount of hard work that you put in is equal to or greater than an eight hour day at work. Mm. But it's a different set of muscles. Okay. Right. You're using your brain in a different way. And so what I've heard is that you crave sometimes a more creative or more professional way to use the muscles of your brain. Right. So it's not to say that you're bored or that you're not working hard quite the opposite. It's that you're looking for a different type of challenge. Okay. In the same way that I think when we're working, we sometimes seek out career growth, a new opportunity in the company, a change between companies because our brain muscles need something new to keep us going. Gotcha. So um, what I want to lead into next is so we we can give people some hard numbers or at least some ballpark figures. You guys are both in New York. Mm -hmm. The prospect of even living in New York scares the crap out of me because I live in the middle of (laughs) Iowa (laughs) <laughs> My rent is like three fifty a month, and um, so I want to talk about childcare. And I know that like my mom has done daycare for years. Mm-hmm. I think her parents were paying like less than one fifty a week at one point. I don't know what her prices are now. Oh my but god! I, I, I it sounds like you're in Canada or something. <laughs> <laughs> like backwoods of Montana. <laughs> yeah, we just, our daycare is a campfire. You know, there's no other. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. So I grew up in that kind of an environment. But I, I guess I'm curious to know like what does child care cost in a big city like where you guys live and is is home daycare an option there or is it basically all like businesses that are i don't know i guess like have locations based on the like not a home i guess and what does that cost (laughs) well so i think you can answer that with uh you know a lot of different perspectives i'm from portland so i'm from the pacific northwest Mm. it's not the same cost of living as iowa (laughs) but it's definitely less than new york city right and, um, you know, growing up, I went to daycare and I thought it was fantastic. Um, I've got friends in L.A. who do the nanny thing. I've got friends in L.A. who do the daycare thing. I've got friends in New York who do both. And then, you know, we've got clients that are nationwide. So I can tell you I can speak from a variety of perspectives. What it really boils down to is doing some advanced research mm-hmm. on what's going to fit your one number budget strategy. Right. Okay. So it's a fixed cost. Right. Once you once you sign up for it it recurs. You send the kids to daycare every day, twice a week, whatever cadence you choose, it's a recurring cost. Um, I think that you get some different benefits from something like daycare versus a nanny and you have to decide where the cost and sort of benefit equilibrium lies for your household. So things I hear about daycare, it's great, early socialization, less expensive, downside, maybe the hours aren't long enough for your number of hours Mm. you have to be at the office or your commute. They open at weird times, maybe, or you have to pay extra for later hours. So you kind of have to balance that out. Also, downside, if your kid's sick, eh, probably can't go to daycare that day, right? So then you start looking at the nanny side, a lot more expensive, potentially, uh, but more within your control, more flexible, more more custom fit to your needs. They may also run errands for you, keep the house clean, depends on what type of nanny you have in your arrangement. Yes. Something that's really common here on the East Coast, um, I don't know if I've seen it quite as much elsewhere, but I've seen it in LA and New York, would be the au pairs. So aupaircare.com is one of the services. There's a couple others out there where you have an international you know, au pair that comes to live with you. Okay. Um, and the cost of doing that is a lot less than a traditional nanny because they're living with you. You're paying for their room and board. You're feeding them. Right. Um, okay. So there's middle ground. And I think every household has to really look at, um, like I said, the cost-benefit equilibrium 
Um, but I think all, all of those things are options, no matter what city you live in. Um, and again, remember that the price point in a certain big city often ties back to income. So incomes tend to be a little bit higher in higher cost cities, right. um, even regionally. So Manhattan versus the outer boroughs versus Jersey versus Westchester. Same thing with Los Angeles, you know, right in the heart of town, all the way out to like the northern, you know, out to Riverside, up to Camarillo. You know, it depends on where you live, how much the costs are going to be. Okay. And I guess that, that brings up one other idea is somebody, instead of just going, you know, all in on the stay at home dad slash mom thing or keeping their full time job, you could potentially do daycare a few days a week and then have a part time job Absolutely. the other days as well, ah. depending on the math. Yeah. And that way you get most of the week to stay with your child, but maybe still have some sort of an income if you can't do it at home. Yeah, I think the combo pack approach is a great one. You can also do nanny sharing. So if paying for a nanny, you know, individually is a little bit too much of a reach. Um, There's sharing programs out there. So there's lots of ways that you can take what's the sort of traditional answer and make it fit your life. Okay. What are some of the biggest struggles people have financially with the whole i mean obviously it's expensive don't have enough money but like where like are the real pain points and maybe yeah i think one of the biggest pain points to be honest is for people who didn't stop to think about how they were going to make certain changes and so they continue to pay for a lot of things that maybe they no longer need or use so like really expensive gym memberships, but you don't have time to go. You keep thinking you're going to, but you don't. Yeah. Um, and, and so instead of sort of balancing out costs and taking a few things off the table and adding in the new expenses, they kept everything they had and tried to add more without adding additional income. Okay. So I think a lot of it truly, I use this word all the time, it's just, it's planning, mm. right? You can't have more going out the door than is coming in. And life is a series of trade-offs. And when you don't have kids... The trade-offs are usually between things like, should I pay a little extra on my student loan? Or, gosh, this month, are we going to go do something fun with that money? I suggest paying extra on the student loan. Um, <laughs> yep, same here. <laughs> or the trade-offs might be, do we say yes to this wedding that's you know down in Cabo San Lucas? Or do we just take a vacation of our own? You know, th- Those are the kinds of things you're dealing with at, at a more you know, early stage of planning. And what you start to introduce is, do we do summer camp this year? Or do we put money into the 529? Mm-hmm. Um, can we pay for private school and still keep up with retirement savings? Yeah. And the thing I will tell clients time and time again is, you know, much of the way people say, don't forego your marriage and your relationship between husband and wife just for the kids. Don't forego your financial foundation and your financial future for everything to be centered around your children. I think it's amazing to invest in your kids and give them a wonderful life, but you also have to be sure that you're not living off of them and moving in at 55 (laughs) because you didn't save for retirement, but you paid for them to go to Harvard in cash. Right. Um, So it's finding that balance, right? So, okay. So to that point, I think you brought up something really interesting. One, the 529 Mm -hmm. and in like a a broader view. So we'll give like a hypothetical person because this question gets asked a lot is, so they don't have a home yet. They're renting. Okay. They want to buy a home. Their their employer has a four hundred one k, so they contribute. You know, and obviously there's IRAs. Uh-oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, Uh-oh. so so the, I think the question is in prioritization of where your money goes. You know, do you do you save cash out do of you these? Rob Peter to pay Paul. That's what you're asking. Kind of, yeah. And like, where does the five twenty nine fall on the list? Is that really important? Is that the least important? Should you be saving for your house above that? Like, how do you kind of rank them? So, again, great questions. I'm going to start with just a really quick kind of thought on the way that student loans have evolved. 
So I always say, you know, you can borrow for higher education, but you can't borrow for retirement, right? You can borrow for a lot of big ticket things, including a house. The thing to be aware of when it comes to borrowing for college is that you have to decide if it's going to be you and your husband, uh, for example, that take on the loans or whether you're going to have your kids take on some of those loans. Mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said for having kids contribute financially, at least partially, to their education, have a little, you know, skin in the game. Mm. But as as you're backing into this decision of what do we do now? Do we move food around on the plate and try to like rob Peter to pay Paul? Or do we save out for each of the things we want to do? I think what you really have to assess is the cost of the transaction to take money out of something to put it towards another goal. So when it comes to retirement, the 401ks and the IRAs in particular, they were built to be under lock and key for 30 plus years. So they weren't designed to be in and out like an ATM. There have been provisions that have been added, especially loans and hardship withdrawals, both for the purpose of buying a house and for funding higher education. But what you're doing is you're compromising your ability to succeed financially and you're putting yourself in a greater position of having to say, hey, Johnny, I'm moving in, you know, later in life or calling your kids to depend on them for money by not continuing with retirement. So when you come when you come around to the decision, you know, we're renting, should we buy? That's a financial assessment that's independent of are we going to be able to save for college and are we going to be able to put away for retirement? The first assessment is what could we afford? What do we qualify for? Um, what types of loans are in the market? Where do we live and what's affordable? If you can only afford a one-bedroom condo to buy, but you can actually pay rent for a three-bedroom freestanding house and you have a family, for a period of time, it might make more sense to be in the renter's position while saving up to become an owner because a one-bedroom condo isn't going to suit you. Right. So you have to understand the market in which you live. And you know, my best advice is to have um, a fully funded emergency savings and then a 20% down payment that you can put on a house that you've saved up in cash independent of taking out from any of your investment accounts, especially retirement accounts. Yeah. So that may make the timeline a little bit longer than you were planning, but it means that you don't get surprised by some of those expenses. You asked me before, what's the biggest, oh shit, moment that people have with their money, especially around kids, and it's the unexpected. It's the roof blowing off in the middle of winter. It's the mm. air conditioning breaking in the summer that costs $5,000. Yeah. That you're like, uh, I guess I have to put that on my credit card. Now you're in credit right. card debt. When all of that could have been prevented by good planning. Mm-hmm. So maybe to that point in the beginning, you said, uh, you know, it might make sense or, or not might. It makes sense to save like five to $10,000 before you have the kid, you know, for startup costs or, or whatever you call it. Does it maybe make sense to have that buffer and kind of like keep it forward so you always have this like child buffer it's almost like your <laughs> child emergency fund well so i think if you're that's a, that's a funny way to think about it um the, the child buffer i think that if you keep a healthy emergency savings you will naturally have that buffer mm. and one of the reasons that the emergency fund uh requirements typically get bigger as you have a growing household is that you have more people depending on your income so you guys could get by at your ages, you know, with, with two incomes and, and, you know, not a lot of complexity with maybe three to six months. You have a family that's living off of, like I have a client, they're fantastic, um, you know, family of two kids, wife and husband. She doesn't work. She does a little freelance photography, but not much, uh, mainly runs the household and he works full time. He makes a good salary, but it's one source of income. So... With them, we look at more like nine months of emergency savings because he's the primary um, income earner 
they have two kids, they have private school expenses, they have a mortgage to pay, and they have financial goals to meet. So you want more buffer depending on your family dynamic. If you yeah. work at a startup, you're going to want to have more buffer, more risk mm. of failure. Um, if you work for the government, okay, maybe, you know, so you, just, you, have, to, <laughs> you have to balance out uh, the level of risk you're taking with your income. And that buffer, what you start with in trying to plan to have a little extra when you're starting a family naturally rolls into the way you do your emergency savings planning. So a lot of the buffer you build at the beginning gets used up for some of those startup costs. I just have to say, you know a lot about your people and, <laughs> and you're like an SVP. So that's even more impressive because you're like 50 layers on top. <laughs> you know what? Financial planning, it's about the numbers a little bit, but it's mostly about the emotions and the people on the other side of a financial plan. Right, so the, yeah. the best way to answer your questions is to understand how people really work with their money and provide realistic solutions. Great. So Andrew, do you have any uh, extra questions before we uh, wrap up? Um, yeah, yeah. Just what one uh, curveball, real quick. So, okay. so two adults, one kid. How large should the emergency fund be? Are they both working? Um, I'm not even going to tell you that. Do they have a, do they do they have a mortgage? Uh, they they have a mortgage. Okay, two adults. We don't know if they're both working. They have a mortgage. One kid. I'm going to say minimum six months of the highest income earner's net pay. So not expenses, okay. income. Hmm. Interesting. And the reason okay. for that is because we often, in the moments of true duress, like let's say job loss, um, we don't always react rationally nor quickly. So right. you might spend a month or two mulling over what to do. Meanwhile, you didn't cancel Equinox at $180 a month true. and you didn't yeah. get rid of your BMW lease at $415 a month. And you didn't like go into uh, you know, hyper-preservation mode and so by using income rather than expenses, we've protected you. Also, two-thirds of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Right. About 30% of those people make over $100,000. So a lot of times, we're depending on that next paycheck to cover you know, all the expenses we have month to month. And the, the income-based philosophy tends to be a little bit more protection. Hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I was actually thinking, like, how long do people typically take to go into, okay, need to save a lot of money mode? Once most people, yeah, most people at least a month of like, whoa, reality. Um, and I would say in the, in, the, in the vein of protection, just one final thought for the audience is you plan within a plan, right? So we've talked about how to save money, how to do various things. An estate plan is really critical as you introduce mm. kids to the picture, particularly as it pertains to guardianship rights. Mm. I don't want, I love my family to death, but I don't necessarily want the court to decide for me which of my next of kin raises my kids. Yeah. If anything happens to my husband and I at the same time. So, um, you know, having a last will and testament, moving towards um, a living trust, establishing guardianship rights, naming a legal guardian and identifying that person and talking to them about what you expect mm. so they know. So it's not just godmother, godfather, it's truly on paper, second kind of guardianship rights establishing a financial runway for them, um, thinking about trust planning as your life gets a little bit more complex and really having that plan within the plan. Right. Cool. Cool. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been massively informative. Awesome. My pleasure. I'm committing a lot of it to further call storage. Me in, call me in the end of summer and I'll tell you what it's like to really be a mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a cool follow-up actually. Yeah, I'd love to do it, guys. This was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, thank you. So, hey, guys, if you have any questions about this or other financial topics, we are listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. Send us your questions. We'll get them answered on the show. You can get involved with the show, subscribe, review, all that cool stuff over at listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved. 
leaving reviews and subscribing to the show on iTunes helps us climb the ranks and awesome puts a smile on our face. Today's review is very short from avictor8828. Just says email them. They'll actually respond to your question with sound advice. So what should we do? <laughs> Make a good effort to do. Thank you for your vigilance, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to find all of our favorite money management resources, apps, tools, books we recommend, all that cool stuff, it's at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. And that's all we got. So thanks for hanging out with us. And we look forward to the next episode. Later, guys. Later, man. Later. Please tell your friends about this show.